return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Before nine. All right. It's a wonderful day, yes? Father, we adore you. We thank you so much for the exceeding great promises, for the magnificent promises, Lord, for the highly treasured promises by which we partake of the divine nature. Oh, thank you, Lord, that even this morning, Lord, will you do that supernatural work as we meditate in these highly treasured promises. Lord, may you enable us to partake, to commune with you in the kingdom realm, in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. So I've titled our message this morning, Jesus is the Door. So the definition in Webster's of a door is a sliding or a swinging barrier by which an entry is closed or opened. For years, at least 1,500 years, there was this big gap, this big distance between God and man. And, of course, man is to blame. We all know that. And in the meantime, God's always had this plan because he always has wanted to dwell with us. Our first scripture, Exodus 29:45, God announced to Moses, I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. It was just weeks after they were delivered from Egypt that God called Moses to the top of the mountain and for 40 days he gave them explicit directions, exact dimensions of how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle in Hebrew is mishkan, which means to dwell, to reside. That's always been God's plan. He wants to dwell with man. So the tabernacle, just briefly, it had this outer court, it had an inner court, it had the candelabra, there was the altar of incense, there was a table of showbread, and then there was the most holy place. And the announcement that God gave to Moses was, Exodus 25:22, there I will meet with you. Not in the inner court, not in the outer court, only here. I will commune with you there from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim. There were gold cherubims attached to the top of the ark. The lid of the ark was called the mercy seat. That's where I will meet with you. That's where I will meet with you, he said. Now, only the high priest, only the high priest could go into that most holy place. And he could only go in once a year. And he didn't dare to enter unless he came in with the blood, the blood of the Passover lamb. The blood then uh, atoned, just covered it temporarily. You know, just this week I heard um, Kat Kerr, I don't know if anybody has ever heard her. She has these little visitations in heaven. 
And she was talking about the power of the blood and how it doesn't just cover, it obliterates. Isn't that exciting? So the blood in the Old Testament of the lamb, the Passover lambs, it just covered temporarily until Jesus. Then now, anytime we claim the blood, it obliterates whatever we're wanting to deal with, right? So the high priest was the only one allowed into the most holy place. He could only come in once a year. He had to come in with the blood. And he's the only one that got to experience the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Hebrews 9, verse 7, we're going to look at it from the Passion Translation. It says, the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year, and he could never enter without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and for the sins of the people. And just so you know, a little side note, the Shekinah, the word Shekinah never appears in the Bible anywhere, but it's been talked about for years by God's people. We're talking about well, it, the root of the word is shakan, which guess what? It means, again, to dwell or to reside. That's always been God's desire, the desire of his heart to be present among his people. Can we peek at Leviticus 16.2? This is the New King James. It says, the Lord told Moses, tell Aaron. Now, Aaron was the very first high priest. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any old time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So he was the only one allowed into the holy place, only once a year, and he had to come with blood. And what is it that separated the most holy place? From everything else and everyone else, it was the curtain or the veil. Now, when I say the word veil, some of you might be picturing this lacy, white, thin, gauzy material, but that is far from the truth. The curtain was four inches thick, four inches thick, all hand-embroidered, purple, blue, and all the colors were very significant as well. It was 60 feet long. Now, let me just quick explain that I don't know positively the size of the one in the wilderness, but I'm guessing it was similar, but I can't be sure. I do know that according to Alfred Eidersheim's The Life and Times of Jesus Christ, we do know the exact dimensions of the one in the temple when Jesus died. And that's what we're going to be talking about very soon. So anyway, it's 60 feet long. That's the size of a bowling alley, just so you know. Or the Big Ben Tower, if you've ever gotten to see it in London, 60 feet tall. It was four inches thick and it was 30 feet wide. That's the size about of a three-car garage. So we're talking something big, immense. In fact, according to Eidersheim, he said that uh, an earthquake could not budge it. If they took horses and ropes and pulled this curtain from the sides, it would not rip it. It was strong. It was secure until, until the day that Jesus died. And at the very moment that he released his very last cry. Now, according to John's gospel, John 19.30, his last words were, it is finished. Wow. Wow. Those are magnificent words, friends. 
Shame, finished, guilt, done. All our sin covered for. Fear, done with. Bondage, done with. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to peek at Matthew's account, chapter 27, starting at verse 50 in the New King James. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. A loud voice. And he yielded up his spirit. Then, and Matthew even uses the word behold. Like, this is a big deal, friends. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked. So we're talking about an earthquake. And the rocks were split. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Quite a response from creation, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Graves opening, like all of a sudden... Grandpa Joe shows up. Ah, shock, right? Aunt Sarah walks in the door. Rocks splitting, the earth shaking. But God's response was even more magnificent. If you can just imagine the priests that were on duty that day and the shock on their faces. Now, if you've been watching The Chosen, I don't know, it's a little bit more fresh in my mind right now, the attitude of the Pharisees and the religious order of the day. I mean, they were all very eager to get rid of Jesus. So anybody who was on duty that day, most of them might might have been very well aware of what was happening over there on Golgotha. But did they realize that it was the very same moment that he died, that he released his spirit, that he shouted with that loud voice, and that's when they heard the rip. And it wasn't from the bottom up like they maybe thought it could have happened, but it was from the top down, friends. This was none other than the hand of God. This was a clear and unmistakable message from heaven. The barrier has been lifted. The way is open, and now there's nothing between God and man except this wide open door called Jesus. Ephesians 2.13 says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Do you remember those days? The being far from God? Like wondering what's it going to take? Or where are you? Or just not being able to connect with the Holy One. But now we've been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. And just like the priest in the old covenant had to come into the holy place, the most holy place, with blood. So Jesus, our great high priest, came with his blood and it was delivered to the mercy seat of heaven. So that any time now, day or night, friends, we have access. That's really what this whole message is about. Jesus is the door. He is our access into the very intimate and glorious presence of the most holy God himself. We're going to look at the message now for Ephesians 2.13. Now... Because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether. Who does that describe? (laughs) It describes me. Out of it altogether. Now we are in on everything. 
Help me out. Tell me some of the everythings that we have now. Didn't Roger just preach last Sunday morning on the 19, 20 things that we all got with our great salvation? Name one or two or three. Salvation, which includes healing, mercy and grace, joy, the Holy Spirit, peace. Yeah, access to the Holy God. Oh, it's just so wonderful, isn't it? Release from bondage, release from fear, and not at a distance. Now, God still could have, since he's so holy. He still could have done it all at a distance. He could have said, oh, just send me an email when you want to talk. Send me a little text. Send somebody that is real holy to talk to me. But no, he opened the way for every single one of us to have intimate communion with him. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a hurricane or a flood, whether you're rich or old or young or or poor, us, I did it wrong, young or old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. His arms are always open wide, just waiting to love you. And meet your every single need. Now the Passion Translation for Ephesians 2.13 says it like this. Yet, just look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. Now that's a revelation that takes a while to catch, right? Being united. I mean, Paul says it's like um, the relationship of someone with a harlot. He actually compares it. That's how close we become one with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So God has an open door policy. Hallelujah. Come right in. Come boldly. No hesitation, whatever. You don't even need a priest. Verse 21, are we still in the Passion? I can't remember what, where we were here. Hebrews, oh, I forgot that whole scripture, didn't I? Okay, so let's back up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. Okay, this is kind of a big deal here today because I spend a lot of time talking about the curtain. Notice what it says. The veil represents his flesh. So the torn flesh of Jesus and the torn veil are one and the same in the spirit. Okay, so here's the Passion Bible now for Hebrews chapter 10. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary. That's just like what I was talking about that was separated from everybody for 1,500 years. But now we're welcome. And he says, come boldly and without hesitation, for he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And then going on to 21, and since we now have this magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's 
house. Is there more? Maybe not. We come closer now to God and we approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing, nothing, nothing will ever keep us at a distance from him. So Jesus is our high priest. If you do, and there's days, friends, when we, we don't feel worthy. We don't feel like, who am I to enter the most holy place? Who am I to talk to the most high God? We go through the high priest, the magnificent high priest, Jesus Christ. And he personally welcomes us. He takes us by the hand and he just walks us up there. Now, will you consider with me just for a minute how Jesus' flesh was torn? Because I want you to get that revelation that his flesh being torn was the same magnificent thing of the curtain being ripped. So how was Jesus' flesh torn? Name some things. The whip. That was a big one. That was even before he got on the cross. That cat of nine tails. You know, some of the people believe it was 39 stripes. The man who did the Passion movie, he was convinced, and a lot of authorities, that it was not 39, that they just went on and on and on and on and on. Every lash of the whip, friends, shredding his flesh. So anybody who's got issues with your back, I urge you right this moment, receive healing, because Jesus already took it for you. What happened to his hands? The nails, okay? How would you do if somebody took and hammered a nail in your hand? I mean, we're talking about pain. He was punched, blindfolded, and joked with, ridiculed. Yes. Spit on. Okay, talk about his flesh now. Something else happened to his flesh. Yes, they put the nails in his feet. Okay, anybody got feet issues? Okay, receive healing in Jesus' name. Jesus took it, the nails in his feet. Okay, we talked about his hands, we talked about his feet. What happened? The crown of thorns. Okay, I don't know about you, but I love roses, but I can't stand those thorns. And they made an entire crown of it and put it on the top of his head, and not just gently, they... They pushed it in so that the blood streamed down his face. And then there was the spear in his side. Am I right? So, friends, all of the ripping, the tearing of his flesh, just like the torn curtain, is a big announcement from heaven that you now have access to. You now have access to the very intimate, glorious presence Of the glorious God. He is our door. He's our entry point into freedom, into fulfillment, into peace, into purpose, into abundance. John 14, 6 says, No man comes to the Father except by me. Now, our key verse, which I haven't even gotten to yet, John 10, 9 says, I am the door. This is Jesus' announcement. I am the door. I'm the way. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Saved. Now, we're just going to take a tiny little, maybe four or five minutes here and talk about this word saved. Because in the Greek, it's a very rich word. Sozo. S-O-Z-O. Maybe you've heard about it before. 
we have at least six definitions for the word sozo. Number one, to save. To save from sin, to save from bondage, to save from fear, from darkness. Number two, it means to deliver. You need deliverance from anything, anything at all, it's yours. It's yours in Jesus Christ. Number three, it means to rescue. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been rescued from a few things. Self-pity and sorrow and, and emptiness and anger and all kinds of things. But every one of us have been delivered. Have, the Bible says, have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And we are no longer ruled, friends, by the law of sin and death. This is another big revelation that we all need to spend some time in and get. Romans 8, verse 2, declares that the law of the life, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has made us free from the law of sin and death. Now, we are supernatural beings in Christ. We aren't like the rest of the world anymore. The rest of the world is ruled by the law of sin and death. We are no longer under the rule of sin and death, friends. We are now under the rule of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And I would urge you to to take some time this week to meditate on that and start declaring it. Number four definition of sozo is to protect. Now, since we're kind of, you know, Jesus' announcement in, of course, all of John chapter 10 is about him being the shepherd, the good shepherd, and going before his sheep. And, of course, verse 10 is the famous verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I came that you might have life and all of its abundance. But in this context, then, of shepherding, I just want to give you a picture in regards to protection. Because in the evening, most of the time, the shepherds would bring their sheep into a, a sheepfold that was, a, it's like a rectangular rock formation. Like, you know, I don't know how high. Enough so that nobody could get in to disturb the sheep. But there was this opening, maybe, I don't know, five feet, something like that, so that they could get the sheep in, and then they could all sleep for the night. But there was still this opening by which a predator, like a wolf or whatever, came in to to get the sheep. So what the shepherd did was he would lay himself across this opening, and he would literally become the door. So that if any enemy came in to do some destruction, he had to deal with the shepherd first. And friends, our Jesus has already dealt with our enemies. And he has become literally our door and our protection. Now Moses, if anybody understood protection... Have you ever put yourself in his place leading some two million people through a desert? He understood the protection of God. And he writes in Deuteronomy 33:29. this is the NIV version, who is like you? He's talking to the people of God. Who is like you? I mean, we could say this about you. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is your shield. He is your helper. He is your glorious sword. Your enemies, look at this, will cower before you. And you will tread on their heights. Glory to God. 
David had the same revelation, right? Psalm 103. It's not just... Oh, sorry. I'm going a little too quick. So I forgot to give you point number five. Point number five. So-and-so also means to heal. To heal. H-E-A-L. And that's what I meant. David had the revelation. Some people, a lot of Christians think salvation is only about having your sins forgiven. But it's so much more than that. It includes all these things we talked about, being rescued and delivered and healed and protected. So what did David say in Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all mine iniquities, who heals all my diseases, who redeems my life from destruction, who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. All these things are included. And then Isaiah, you've read chapter 53. Talk about a revelation, right? Don't they say like some 24 prophecies were fulfilled from 53, chapter 53, when Jesus came and when he died? And the very verse that says he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, the very next part of the verse says, by his stripes we are healed. And we already talked about and pictured, right? That cat of nine tails ripping his flesh. Every one of those stripes were for our healing. And so-so, number six means to preserve. To preserve. He's sustaining you, my friend. He's keeping you by his power. He's keeping you intact and complete. Colossians 1.10, I am complete in him. This so-so word is an all-encompassing word to describe an all-encompassing Savior who commits himself to be all that we need. Okay, I've only got five minutes. Well, let's keep going. So Jesus is our door. He's our entry point into life in all of its fullness, into freedom and deep heart satisfaction. His torn flesh, his broken body, opened the way for us to access the most holy God in the most holy place any time of the day or night. Glory to God. Glory to God. But the question, of course, is do we? Do we? I mean, I heard a brother the other day on the It's Supernatural talking about prayer, and it was amazing because God said to him, I want you to go back and study the very first prayer that ever happened in the Bible. And so he said, well, Lord, what's that? And he went back to Gen- God showed him Genesis 1, 26, where the Lord was talking, God the Father, to the God the Son, to God the Holy Spirit, said, let's make man in our own image and in our likeness. So in other words, friend, prayer is an invitation to commune with, to, he, the guy on It's Supernatural used the phrase, um, get in the loop. So how about getting in the loop with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? And do we do it? And then we all know, we all know just saying the name of Jesus. Well, we enter this kingdom realm. But some of us, well, me included, we can go hours and hours and hours without even speaking the name. And how about the word of God? Here we have these the breath of God, the thoughts of God, the love letter from the Father himself. And we can go, I hope not days, but again, hours without even considering the word, the words of life. All right, so I have to quick tell you my other point here. Um, Colossians, no, sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. This is another big deal about accessing the Father. So look at here, my grace, and we all know this passage. He's talking to Paul. 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's response was, hey, I'm now going to boast. I'm going to boast all more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I now delight in my weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, it's a big thing to try to grasp the immensity of the grace of God, of this unlimited, constant, ever-flowing power of God that's living in us and always available to us. And Paul had come to the extremity of his need. Have you ever been there? Or you feel like I'm at the end of my rope. Well, Paul was there. And just by admitting his need, this floodgate opened of power on his behalf. We don't need to hide behind our issues or our problems. We don't have to pretend we don't have any. Instead, if we just bow in humility to his ability, the Holy Spirit rushes in to fill the gap. Hallelujah. So can we read it from the Passion Translation there? All right, here's what he says. Again, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. My grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full, its full expression. I want you to think for a minute about your weakness. Maybe your inadequacy. Maybe about your little gap. All right. My power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate, Paul says. I'm now going to celebrate my weaknesses. But when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness. Say that with me. I'm not defeated by my weakness. I'm delighted, he says, for when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love, For Christ, I am made yet stronger for my weakness. Now notice this. My weakness becomes a portal to God's power. I had to go look it up, friends, because I didn't know what the world, what's a portal? I'll tell you what it is. It's a wide, big, and Webster's actually says an imposing door. Now again, we're talking about your weaknesses, those inadequacies, those gaps in our ability like, Okay, I don't know, Lord. I can't really do that. I'm not so good at at that. I've got this weakness. I've got this inadequacy. Let's look at the message Bible here, he says. My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own. In other words, God's power shows up best in our weakness. So once I heard that, Paul says, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in now on my weakness. And I have to be done, friends. So can we just take this? Can you picture this big portal? Can you picture this wide open gate that's available for you? As soon as we admit our need, grace comes flowing in. It's kind of like them lifting the wall on a dam. And here comes the grace. Father, I thank you so much. I praise you, Jesus that you allowed your flesh to be ripped to shreds, torn and mutilated so that we could have complete and unqualified access to the Father. 
to the spirit of the living God, to the well of living water, to the wisdom of the ages. Thank you, Lord, that your strength is released to us any time we seek your face. I praise you, Lord, for the floodgate of power that's opening, flooding into every person in this place, into their heart, into their life, filling in the gaps, Jesus, with your power. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you for the mighty thing you're doing in every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife@brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., Also, Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.